Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Pop Culture Podcast. I am your host, Tyson Popplestone. Today I'm super excited to welcome our guest, internationally renowned chef, Mr. Pete Evans. Now if you don't know Pete, Pete was a co-host and judge of Australia's number one television show, My Kitchen Rules, for 11 seasons. He's hosted and produced two seasons or 16 episodes of his own show, The Paleo Way, which is a television series watching Pete create delicious non-inflammatory meals with special guests from around the globe and interviewing some of the world's leading experts on health and wellness. He's also a keynote speaker, author, TV presenter and documentary producer. Beyond that, he also hosts his own podcast called Evolve with Pete Evans where he explores nutritional and emotional well-being. His passion for food and healthy lifestyle has inspired individuals and families from all around the world. As Australia's number one selling author of healthy cooking and lifestyle books for the last five years, he's dedicated to educating people about nutritional food and wellness. With around 25 books to his name over the last 13 years, he's one of Australia's most published contemporary Australian chefs. He's also a health coach with qualifications gained from New York's internationally recognized Institute of Integrative nutrition. But beyond all that, what I was really excited to have a chat to him about was, I mean, it's no news to a lot of people here in Australia. The mainstream media in the last couple of years have turned pretty harshly on Pete, labeling him a conspiracy theorist and a a bit of a nut job for lack of a better term. I was so excited to hear about how he sees this and what's changed and why it's changed and ask him some questions about whether the labels that the mainstream media have placed on him are actually true or based on anything that he's really said. So today was a really fun conversation. I connected well with Pete. It was a very easy, flowing conversation. And uh, I mean, I don't think it's going to be news to you that I was excited and engaged. You can you can just tell the whole way through that he, uh, he had me on the edge of my seat. It was a really fun chat. I've linked everything to do with Pete Evans in the show notes below. So if you want to check out what he's about now, what he's up to, make sure you go and do that. But for now, welcome to the show for the very first time, the great man himself, Mr. Pete Evans. So what are you going to tell us, tough guys? My usual. Zero. Nothing. That's sweet, man. Man, uh, it's so good to have the opportunity to sit down with you. I was, I was going down the Pete Evans rabbit hole the last few days just to get ready. And, man, it has been so much fun uh, between the YouTube videos, <laughs> between the, uh, the mainstream media stories, Tracy Grimshaw's A Current Affair story about you where they came to your property after your yoga session, um, mate, it's uh, there's so many different directions I feel we could take this conversation because there's just so many uh, different themes that the media seems to love speaking about you in regards to. But essentially, I was saying to my wife last night, he, he believes food is essentially medicine. He believes love and connection is a good thing for you. He believes we have capacity to influence our immune system. He believes we should do things that we love. I, I don't really understand what the issue is. <laughs> so I thought perhaps as a way of introduction, I mean, um, I will have let everyone who doesn't listen from Australia know your background here on Australian TV. People here are going to know a lot about you. Where, uh, as the media like to put it, where mm-hmm. did things go so wrong, Pete? Well, it depends on your perception, whether it- you look at it through the lens of being wrong or, you know, I, I don't like to live in those worlds of right and wrong or good and bad and, and you know, black and white, so to speak. I, I like to look at it through as many different perspectives as I can. And, you know, I have the perspective that everything 
is absolutely perfect. And one of the things I'm often asked is, is how do you deal with such uh, scrutiny for your opinions and beliefs and views and perceptions out in the world? And I go, well, again, it comes back to your perception, you know, because I had it on the weekend, actually. I had a, uh, we, my wife and I were running a wellness retreat and we had a fellow there that was in his 70s and he said, you know, you, you've copped a lot. I said, well, it depends on which way you look at it. I said, all of that media noise and the, the game, so to speak, they're, they're in an industry to create uh, headlines, to create more eyeballs looking at their content. They're in the business of delivering content because the more content and the more eyeballs, the more advertising revenue they get. So once you know the game, you know how to play it. And for me, as I said to this man, I said, without the media, I would never have been able to get this message out to as many people as I could have. And I use them as one of the tools that I have or that any of us have to be able to share a message. And when you come at it from the perspective that they cannot harm you in any way, you know, whether it be emotionally or physically, <laughs> hopefully it doesn't come to that. And, um, that, that is their game. You can, you can, I don't want to say manipulate it, but you can, you can play in that reality if you choose to. And I chose to, you know, I was already in the mainstream media for, I had a 20 year career, uh, hosting cooking shows and, and cooking is just, uh, cooking television or celebrity chefs is just about sharing information. And the path that I chose was home cooked meals. And that eventually evolved into nutritious meals. And then understanding how the body worked and sharing that information out there into the world. And I guess things started changing for me from the media point of view when I started talking about long term regenerative health. You know, and when you see the game that the media is involved in, a lot of their advertising dollars come from multinational food companies. They come from either directly or indirectly from the medical pharmaceutical model, depending on which part of the world in which you are playing the game in. And um, we know that there's conflicts of interest between, say, the Dietitians Association and multinational food corporations. We know there's conflict of interest between pharmaceutical companies and medical associations or industries. We know that there's conflicts of interest between media and these outlets. All of this is being exposed. We know that there's conflicts of interest between politics and lobbying groups, whether it be the pharmaceutical, the agricultural, the um, chemical <laughs> industries and so on and so forth. And there's these overlapping um, realities and, and facts and truths in which that game is being played. So when I started to talk about long-term regenerative health, how to look after our immune system, as you, as you pointed out, how to cook yourself healthy and maintain that health by perhaps eliminating certain food groups or eliminating certain products from your diet, whether it be seed oils, whether it be fluoride from your water that you're cooking with, whether it be this, that, and the other, whether you choose a healthy sunscreen to put onto your body instead of one that has known carcinogenic effects. When, we, when I started talking about that, that's where their narrative changed from Pete 
the boy next door um, sharing great recipes to, okay, here's somebody that is edu- actually educating people on something that that is going against the narrative of potentially where our sponsors or advertisers have their vested interests in. Yeah. You know, I, I love the great meme, you know, that uh, where they talk about the pharmaceutical companies, you know, that they're not going to create products that take them out of business. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and it's as simple as that, you know, and I'm just using that as one, one, one of the truths that is out there. So when we start to talk about these things where we take health into our own hands, hopefully then you don't have to end up in those systems, the medical system down the track, where you can be a highly functioning, healthy individual for the rest of your life. And and the fellow I was talking to the other day, he's 70 years old, he was a chiropractor, he was a chiropractor and is a chiropractor. And he was telling me that he went to see a doctor last year for the first time. You know, a lot of people don't have doctors, you know, and this is that reality as well that so many people live in. I mean, I don't have a GP. I don't have a doctor. I haven't seen a GP for, I don't know, 20, 30 years, except to maybe get a malaria tablet for traveling overseas. And now I'd even question that <laughs> before I knew all of this stuff. And, um, but for so many people that live in that system where they have their GP, they go and get their tests. And, and this fellow was saying that when he saw the doctor, the doctor said, have you had a colonoscopy? Have you had a, a um, an, another test where they stick the, the tube down your throat? Had to you get your cholesterol checked? And the guy said, no. And he goes, well, maybe you should. And the guy said, well, why wouldn't the doctor celebrate me as a 70-year-old that is not on any medication of any type yeah. that is living a healthy life and going and say, continue doing what you're doing because you seem to be doing better than most of my <laughs> patients that are on this, that, and the other, you know. And even that reality of medical trained professionals, they sort of miss, some of them miss that that reality that we are actually designed as human beings to be healthy. It's our birthright and it's at our fault our body is always striving for homeostasis, which means being in balance and being in harmony. That's our default setting. When disease or illness appears, it means something's out of balance. And then the big question is, what's out of balance? Am I working too hard? Am I not getting enough sleep? Is my diet poor? Mm. Are my relationships uh, causing stress on my life? Have I got financial insecurity? This, that, and the other. You know, Once we get to the root cause of why am I out of balance, why am I not in harmony? You know, that should be the first question that anybody asks, potentially before they go and see a doctor. <laughs> you know, I'm not, you know, if you have a car accident or chewed on by a shark or have a have an accident of any type, a physical accident, then straight to the doctor, you know, stitch me up, please. You know, <laughs> they, been- they serve a, a wonderful purpose in that reality. For sure. It's been one of the most interesting things because everything that you just said then, to anyone listening to myself, you go, no, no, that makes perfect sense. What Pete just said, it, it's common sense, really. It, it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. And yet with that exact statement that you just made, I'll, I'll be not surprised at all if on news.com.au they release another article saying uh, Pete Evans says, once again, mainstream medicine is unhelpful, unuseful, and shouldn't be touched, when it's not what you're saying it's all at all. It's got its purpose. But for, for so 
so many of us. And I think it, it's probably been magnified the last couple of years more than mm-hmm. any other time, at least in my life. I'm 36 years old and I've always been at least interested in health and, and nutrition for as far back as I can remember. That doesn't mean I've always been right. I mean, I, I got sucked in as a 12-year-old thinking the low-fat diet was the, the right one for me. Uh only to speak to a number of nutritionists as I got older and realized, no, no, they're pretty heavily substituted with sugars. But but in saying that, like my mind's been changed. I've opened my eyes. I've learned new things. And essentially, from what I can tell from where I sit, it, you're on a deep dive of, uh, I, I guess, a self-education. You, you're tapping into what is actually good for us and good for others, speaking about it openly. Um being open about what you know and what you don't know. And, I mean, your perspective on it is very refreshing. I think you're a more patient man than me. I think if I was pigeonholed or painted in the way that you have been in a number of the videos, maybe I shouldn't tell you about the videos in case you didn't know about them. (laughs) In a a number of videos, I I wouldn't be able to help but fire back. And even even mainstream media again last night, like the so-called conversations where you're giving – you're given a chance to speak. Like Pete Evans tries to redeem his wild statements on a kiss with Kyle and Jackie O. Like I listened to that again last night. And it's just such a, as much as I like Kyle, I don't really know Jackie O as much. I, I like the fact that he's a bit controversial and he's happy to have opinions that you're not supposed to have. He's fun to listen to for that reason. As much as I enjoy it, there's still such a limited opportunity to actually share what you really believe. And between the actual, uh, like the entertainment side of that, before trying to poke into a couple of controversial points with the intern shouting you down over your your, co- your magic COVID lamp. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's, and the beeps, that like all the beeps, There's there seems to be no genuine conversation. So has this been a, a, a period of you getting more comfortable with the fact that you're not going to get an honest conversation in that world anymore? How do you accept the fact that what they're portraying you as is actually not what you believe, because I understand the idea that it actually helps you get your message out there. But in a lot of ways, they manipulate who you are and what you say, which is not your message at all. Yeah. It, again, I'll go back to once you know the game, then you can choose to play it, you know, and, and using Kyle and Jackie, I was a great example uh, for the listeners or viewers that uh, unaware last week I was invited or the week before to go on Kyle and Jackie, which is the number one uh radio show or channel um on australian radio commercial commercial radio and it had been a few years since i'd been interviewed by them and they interviewed me pretty much at the start of covid and and it was wonderful they actually gave me about a 15 20 minute uh, opportunity to talk about covid vaccines, um, immune system, this, that, and the other. And it was uninterrupted and it was great. Uh, interestingly enough, after that, they came out as very pro-vaccine, both of them. And who knows whether that was um, brought on from the powers above them because I know it was um, it was quite a controversial episode. And when they reached out, they uh, the producer reached out and said, Kyle and Jackie, they want to do a new segment called uncancelled and we want to start with you because you're you're one of the most cancelled people in Australia and I said yeah and I knew exactly what was going to happen I didn't know that they'd bleep out most of it because when I was recording the interview I couldn't hear the (laughs) the beeps and and when I listened back to it and I heard all the all the beeps all the censoring on there I was like okay so that was their agenda all along you know and what I mean by that is again how does media work 
they need to, one, create a controversial story or a headline that is sensational and that then gets picked up and redistributed through the news outlets in this country, for instance. And for them to be able to go on and bleep me out, that created the narrative for them to create a story, you know, and um, you can see how it works when you really take a, a, a view back to see what is their desired outcome. And their desired outcome is more listeners, more debate, more controversy, more news sharing of their program. And they nailed it, you know, because a lot of the things that I said that they bleaked out, um, it wasn't censor worthy in my opinion because I was just stating facts that are available in so many scientific magazines now, you know. We know that masks have never stopped ah, viruses. La, 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 la. Don't say it, Pete. Yeah. Well, we know that. We yeah, knew that at the start. Many people, many doctors were reporting this saying, you know, wearing a mask has, has no um, efficacy to stop the spread of virus because the N95 masks, even though they're the gold standard, you know, the, the junctions in them between the uh, fibres, they're too large to stop a virus, if you believe in them, that are, that's microscopic. You know, they just pass through it. And I remember memes at the start of COVID where they'd say uh, it was like a, a metal fence trying to stop a mosquito from flying through. It'll just never work and the holes are that big and the mosquito is this big, you know. <laughs> and, and the same with the vaccines. All the politicians, health experts said it would stop you from transmitting COVID and it would stop you from catching COVID. And we've come to realise, and as I stated, you know, many of the politicians that stated that ended up with COVID after they've had their two or three or four jabs or five jabs. And it didn't stop people from going into hospital. And that seems to be their, their narrative that they're clinging on to now is, oh, it, it stopped the severity of it if you did end up in hospital. And I, I, I kindly or politely said, you know, I'm sure that the evidence will show that that was also uh, misinformation uh, down the track. So how do you deal with that type of thing? One, you take full responsibility and accountability of your own actions. So I chose to go onto that program knowing full well there would be some sort of um, agenda behind it or uh, desired outcome for the radio network. But at the same time, I also had been on Kyle and Jackie O before where they'd given me the a serious amount of time to be able to just express myself. <clears throat> so I weighed up those options. I thought, okay, I'm happy to put myself in there and whatever comes from it, whatever headline that comes out, this, that, and the other, I'm okay with that. So taking accountability, responsibility, and not becoming the victim is, is the key here because a lot of people over the years, they say, how do you deal with it? And, and I, I respond by saying, if you fear what other people think of you, then perhaps that's an opportunity or an invitation for you to go on your own journey and work out why that's such a problem for you or why that causes you to go into a state of panic or fear because that seems to be the overriding message that I get from people is how do you deal with it? So from my perception, it's like, why are you so concerned about what other people think? I mean, I'm just presenting a version of somebody that <clears throat> has a nation potentially 
judging you. You know, when we see that, and this is why that um, I am so controversial and polarizing and such great clickbait for the mainstream media because when they do do a story about me and I'll go onto their Facebook page, whether it's news.com or Kyle and Jackie O, and the Kyle and Jackie O is a great example. If you look at their Facebook page and where they posted about me, I think there's nearly a thousand comments on there, but then you go to the next story that they released and there might be 200 comments or 100 comments or 50 comments. And it's the same thing on news.com. It's the same thing on any of these news outlets. For some reason, the stories about me get greater traction and greater debate and greater conversation and greater comments. And again, that's what they're after to stay relevant so that the producers get their tick. Oh, look, we created a story. I got 800 comments by sharing this story. Whereas my other journalist friend created that story. They got 50 comments on their page. You know, they have these KPIs and they get patted on the back when they're doing a good job. So I understand I have a draw card in that reality that garners that controversy, that polarization, the, the debate, the public debate. And when you go through the comments, you can very easily see that there's people for, there's people against, there's people that are sort of sitting on the fence. And one of the reasons why I do what I do when I'm invited to do these things is because there are a lot of people that are sitting on the fence. And potentially, if they hear me talking about long-term regenerative health and have the opportunity to talk freely, maybe that'll land for that person that sort of considering that some of the things that they're hearing in mainstream are not resonating with them 100% like they used to. And maybe it opens a doorway for them to go down some different paths and learn about some of the things that we're talking about. So that's one of the other reasons why I do it is because those people sitting on the fence, you know. And one of the other reasons is to show people that it is okay not to care about what other people think, that it can't hurt you unless you make it hurt you. And it's one of one of the greatest fears people have is not being part of the tribe, being banished from <laughs> from society, excommunicated. You know, it goes back into all the myths and stories of people being shunned from their village or shunned from the tribe. And when we look into the hero's journey of these many great stories and mythologies that have permeated human culture, part of the human, the hero's journey is that step away from the tribe, is that step into that, um, that element of aloneness, walking the path that very few seem to willingly wish to take because it's so uncertain. There's so much um, that comes up within oneself when they depart on a path that's, that's very different from, let's say, their family, from their friends, from society, from the norm, from the, um, from the script, so to speak. And as we know, in all of those mythologies and all of those great storylines, when somebody goes on the hero's journey, they do have to face their fears on that path. But by going into the fear, by confronting that, they break through the other side and they end up coming back and, and sharing their gifts with others. And I'm not saying that I'm sharing my gifts with anything. All I know is that I represent for some people 
the ability to navigate that world without it phasing me or being a negative influence on my physiology, on my mental or emotional state, my physical state, my spiritual mind, that it is okay to break away and you will be okay, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm going pretty deep here, but, you know, that's one thing that a lot of people actually come up and say to me, thank you for doing that because it gave me the opportunity to confront my own fears and know that it is safe to be able to share my message, to be able to share my own truth, whatever it may be in somebody's life. You know, and we're all going on that journey, whether we like it or not, of, uh, I mean, my network is called Evolve, the idea to evolve and many people believe to evolve, it is to confront our deepest, darkest fears, that shadow part of ourself that we suppress, that we hide away. And, you know, all I'm here to, to share is that, you know, when we do confront our fears, there's so much that we can learn about ourselves, whatever fear it may be, public speaking, Swimming with sharks, <laughs> you know, or surfing with sharks. Um, they're, they're two of my big ones that I had to learn how to confront was public speaking. And then also I love surfing, but but sharks were always a, uh, a big concern for me. So I learned how to scuba dive and I chose diving locations where I could swim and scuba dive with the sharks to get myself over that fear because I wanted to surf for the rest of my life, but I didn't want that thought in the back of my mind like, fuck, there's sharks out here, you know? <laughs> I don't, I didn't want to be scared in that situation. And and now at the age of 50, I, I'll, I'll surf by myself, I'll surf with other people, I'll surf at sharky locations. And again, I'm not saying that there's no risk involved. You know, there was a fellow that got eaten, uh, he, he, he had a bite taken out of him yesterday surfing WA, you know. It's part of the risk, it's part of the adventure, it's part of the adrenaline, it's part of the experience. But I didn't want to go out, spend the rest of my life in that state of fear because that was debilitating for me. Whereas now I'm neutral to it. I'm like, I'm not fearful. I know they exist. There is a possibility <laughs> that this could be my last surf, but so be it. Yeah. I'm not I'm not fearful of it anymore. Yeah. And same with public speaking, not fearful of public speaking. And a lot of people I know get scared of these big fears that they have. And I'm not saying to face them. I'm not telling anybody what to do. But there's great rewards that come from first acknowledging what your fears are and then potentially actively seeking them out to break through that, that, that barrier to get to a state of neutrality where you're fine either way. Yeah. There's a great quote. I'm probably misquoting it or misattributing it, but I'm pretty sure it was Carl Jung who said that that which you need most is found in the place you least want to look. Mm -hmm. And that really resonates with me, especially in regards to your surfing analogy. I mean, uh, I live on uh, coastal Victoria. I'm down in Point Lonsdale. And I mean, there's there's plenty of beaches here, not so many sharks that we see at least, but I, I share that fear. I've just uh, finished a documentary called uh, The Deepest Dive. I'm not sure if you've seen that one about a whole heap of freedivers, um, and it follows the journey of one Italian girl on the hunt to break the world record to, to reach like 104 metres of depth. Wow. And just the psychology of, of that is, uh, is, is sort of fresh on my mind. But with, with your specific example, it's, I find it really interesting because our culture almost worships the idea of fame and celebrity, and, and so many of us 
are on the hustle, on the grind to try and get some level of notoriety. And once you once you get to that point, which was Pete Evans' peak, my kitchen rules for a lot of people, I guess that's where your reputation in a lot of people's minds come from. Why would you change anything? You say what you've got to say. You do what you've got to do. You act the way you've got to act because people know you. You get a good paycheck. You've got the fame. Um, and it does take an incredible amount of courage. There's a... <clears throat> I'm from the Christian tradition, and, and there's a story in the New uh, New Testament where Jesus is at the peak of his ministry, and he's just done a, a whole heap of healings, and he's starting. He, he's both become uh, uh, controversial to the religious leaders who who wanted to have the the swagger and wanted to be recognised for being the most religious, and then this guy came in who was no real respecter of, of rules and religion, <laughs> and said, "Hey, look, um, uh, essentially, look at this," and it caused up a stir, and he had such a big following. And at the peak of that, he started to say some real controversial things. Uh, and he was like, look, if you don't like it, don't follow me. I'm happy. Sweet. Like here, this is – and for me, it's a it's a side of like the old Jesus story that you don't often get. We often just get this, hey, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, beautiful, nice man just doing everything. But he, he could be an asshole at times to the people that he um, he upset. But what I like about that story, and, and I mean, what a beautiful comparison to be compared to the man Jesus himself. But <laughs> what I like about your story as well is um, at the at the peak of, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, the peak of your, your fame, peak of your powers, you, you chose to do the things which caused the stir, at least on my kitchen rules, and walk your own path to a degree or to a big degree. But but I guess one, one thing I've been fascinated about, and I just could not find an answer to, there's so much speculation about actually what happened with My Kitchen Rules and what was the final straw. Was it ratings? Was it controversy? Was it your views? Like what was it that, that saw the uh, the end of that road for you at MKR? Yeah, it was really simple. They'd actually stopped filming. We did 11 seasons and then they put it on hold for, I think they put it on hold for two or three years. And... So my contract had run out and they were uncertain when they would ever bring it back. And then when I was cancelled, so to speak, uh, I knew that was the nail on the head, so to speak, of my uh, mainstream adventure at this particular point in time. I just knew that um, once I had about 12 or 15 uh, people that I worked with, partnerships, partnerships, business relationships and within the space of 24 hours I was dumped by pretty much all of them um I was cancelled basically (laughs) you could call it that um but I wasn't cancelled from MKR at that particular point in time but I just knew that you know they didn't need to cancel because we're already on hold and um I think it was two years later that they rebooted it, um, but I never got the call and I knew that I wouldn't get the call and it wasn't so much as um um that they cancelled me because they didn't. The show was just put on hold for a few years. So um, I had a, an, an amazing experience on that network for 11 years. I, I created some wonderful friendships with the executive team, with the, the heads of the network over the years, as I've done with every other network that I've been with. I've been with three different networks, Channel 9, Channel 7 and Foxtel. And um, as I've said, my door is always open to anybody and um, I've never, and you'd, you'd, you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody in any of those networks that I, I believe that would say a bad word about me and my work ethic and the way that I um, showed up each and every day. 
to do my job and to promote those those networks and the shows that I was associated with and and my willingness to work in a team. So um, I always and and what's interesting in that was I've been self employed since I was nineteen. So my only job over the last three decades, apart from the ones that I've created as a as a business owner and an entrepreneur, was when I was an employee for television networks. So because I was an employee, I I it was a change for me from being my own boss to being a contracted employee. So I had to basically go back into it, wear a different hat where I had people above me and I respected them wholeheartedly and and, and as I said, created great relationships with with all of the team there. Um, but yeah, I think that that time is is finished now. Uh, my wife and I are creating these little cooking videos again. I, I took a couple of years off the tools in front of a camera and now uh, my wife and I are making these little three to four minute cooking videos and it's so much fun. We've, we've filmed six of them in our outdoor kitchen and it's so beautiful. So we're sharing that content out through our social medias, uh, media um, networks at the moment on Instagram, Facebook, and also on Telegram. And I'm having a ball doing that. And my wife is a, is a wonderful videographer and editor and director and producer. And um, yeah, we make a really good team. And I'm doing the things that I've, I've always loved to do, which is share delicious recipes, talk about how important they are for long-term regenerative health. And um, yeah, I'm very grateful for that that experience in that TV landscape, that mainstream media world, because what it allowed me to do was face my fears of being seen, being heard, um, being very, very comfortable in front of a camera and learning my craft um, in such a great way. Because when I was in a restaurant, uh, I owned restaurants for nearly three decades. My my team and I, my partners and I, we opened five restaurants over the years won many awards, had a catering business, had team building events as well as nightclubs, modern Australian restaurants, cafes, uh, Italian restaurants. And it was such a such a wonderful thing. But delving into the TV landscape as a celebrity chef, what that actually allowed me to do was really expand my repertoire, my, repertoire, my cooking repertoire, because I needed to become an expert on all different cuisines. When you have a restaurant per se, you're sort of limited by the style of restaurant that you open, the price point, and I guess the clientele and what they like. So by delving into the celebrity chef world where we became an educator on all things food, what that allowed me to do was take my cooking experience or repertoire from this level to a huge level. And I got to travel the world. I used to do a TV show in America on PBS for eight years leading up to the COVID lockdowns where I traveled through probably 35 states in America. And I got to work with some of the most amazing chefs in that country. Uh, I never got showed in Australia. I was doing My Kitchen Rules and this American show. And, uh, yeah, I'm so grateful because I made some wonderful connections, but I also have learned so much about, how to cook and how to deliver so many wonderful recipes. And, uh, you know, I continue to this day, like even last night, I'm on, I'm on uh, social media looking at different recipes, different, um, different ideas out there because it's this constant, constant state of evolving. 
and I love it. I love food. I, I, you know, it's just such a beautiful thing. This morning, you know, a couple of hours ago, I made my daughter poached eggs on paleo toast with some salmon caviar, some cracked pepper, good quality sea salt, and some fresh basil out of their little herb garden. And we sat there together, and I don't usually eat breakfast, but I didn't want her to eat alone today. And uh, we sat there, and was just like, how good is this? <laughs> She's like, it's, it's good, Dad. It's, it's really good. Yeah. The, the, the perfect poached egg with salmon caviar on top, a teaspoon of salmon caviar. It's a treat for us, but I know she loves it. And just something so simple that took me five minutes just brought so much joy to both of us. And... That's what food can do. Sorry if I've gone off tangent here, but um, yeah, mainstream media was a was a wonderful gift, one that I I really um, honed my skills with, and um, you know we're we're I'm at the age of turning fifty next next month, and I reckon I've got another fifty years at least of uh, learning more about food and sharing that information for those that choose to tap into it. Yeah, I'm, I'm always interested in people who are involved in any super creative process. So for me, I'm a, I do stand up comedy here in Melbourne, um, and and that's a huge passion of mine. That's uh, I, the way you explained food just then is uh, in many ways the the way I explain, or, or at least the way I can approach stand up comedy. And I can imagine in the world of food, there's there's a lot of bombing, there's a lot of trial, there's a lot of error, um, there's a lot of good meals, there's a lot of bad meals, and um, for me, I often go out there and it blows my mind how on one night a particular joke in a particular room can get a particular response and you take that exact thing to a brand new room the next night and it can fall absolutely flat. <laughs> and and that constant never being able to completely perfect what it is uh, or it, it, you just can't put your finger on something and say, okay, this is the one key ingredient that makes this a good stand-up set. I've seen great stand-up comics bomb and I've seen terrible stand-up comics kill for whatever reason. And, and and what keeps me coming back to that and just trying to figure it out is is just further unpacking whatever it is that triggers a certain response. And the way you spoke about food just then, it sounds, I, I can see how it's a, a lifelong passion, a lifelong commitment because, I, I mean, like the egg meal that you cooked for your daughter this morning sounded unbelievable and as good as you are, and I don't know, unless you're in that res- uh, that restaurant where you're constantly churning out the exact same meal with the exact same ingredients on a daily basis, I imagine there's quite a lot of variance for someone who's uh, uh, who's pretty focused on delivering the best meal. There must be a, a big range of flavors to look out for that is, is kind of hard to perfect. Yeah, well, we're, chefs are always striving. Uh, I'll generalize here because I think we all do, but um, we're always striving for, for perfection. Right. And it's such a, um, it's why a lot of us go a little nuts <laughs> because we've got, we learn this craft and it's such a beautiful craft. Like when you really think about the, when you really think about what food represents, you know, it is, so it's always been about survival, survival of any species. You know, we need to eat to survive, Right. And if we look back to our indigenous or ancient ancestors, food would have been the number one priority out of everything. Always, always has been, and I believe it always should be. And I very, very seldom use the word should. But this day and age, we seem to have lost that 
that common sense or that perception of that vital piece of information, which is we used to have food as the food and shelter, no doubt, and love and connection as the top things that we would spend our lives searching for, whether it's developing tools to enable us to hunt better, to enable us to strip that piece of meat or, or fish and uh, human ingenuity, how to create fishing nets, for instance, how to, ca- how, to, how to catch those fish in the river or the lake, you know, how to create that spear, how to create that bow and arrow. How, to, how can we get something that is so vital for us and for our tribe and family and community? And how do we then learn how to make it even more delicious, you know? And, and I, I just think it's when you, when you start to travel around the world and see all the different cultures and all the, the ingenuity again of how they've learned to create these classic meals, whether you're in Italy, India, Korea, China, Southern America, Africa, the Pacific Islands, Australia, New Zealand, wherever it may be, we have learnt to find the local ingredients and blend them together in certain ways to create something that used to just give us sustenance and life into something that is so freaking pleasurable. Like that smile on my daughter and my face this morning, a simple poached egg you know, with runny yolk, perfectly cooked white, golden toast, little drizzle of olive oil, just the right amount of salt and pepper. And we've, we as a species have created these gastronomic masterpieces, you know, whether it be a piece of uh, steak with salt, pepper and a wedge of lemon on the side, you know, classic Italian dish, whether it be a complex curry from India that has 20 different spices in the perfect ratios that's been simmered, goat on the bone, goat curry, you know, for hours, whether it be a, a, a noodle dish from Malaysia, and, and I'll use that as an example. If you go into the street stalls, you know, there'll be a, a, a woman there or a man there that's been cooking the same dish, one dish, all their life, and they're taught by their mothers or their, their parents, taught by their parents, taught by their grandparents, and they cook it each and every day. We look at um, Japan, we look at the sushi sashimi masters that just take raw pieces of fish, slice it, serve it to you with whether it be a little sea salt or some tamari or soy sauce on top or a brush of lemon juice over the top and you eat a raw piece of fish or you're travelling through a coastal town and there's fresh oysters and there's someone shucking an oyster for you at San Francisco fish markets and they open an oyster and present it to you and you don't put anything on it. You know, we've, we've, we've turned this art of, of sustenance and survival into this pleasurable experience and then if we look back over the last five six seven decades fast food the industrialization of food the convenience of fast food the packet meals you know i'm not saying they're not delicious but what have we sacrificed for some of that convenience when in reality like i just told you we can actually cook a meal in five minutes ten minutes and nourish ourselves and still have a pleasurable experience with certain spices, certain herbs, certain combinations of flavors. But what are the detrimental 
detrimental effects that we're seeing in society as a Western population, especially through the choice of and the acceptance that food is just another thing that we have to do each and every day and it becomes a chore for people. Oh, fuck, what am I going to cook today? Do I have to cook something again for the kids? Do I have to do this? Why do I have to do this? You know, maybe I just ring up someone and they'll just deliver something. Maybe I'll just get that take-home meal that's already prepared, that's cooked with bad seed oil, that's cooked with um, caged chickens, that's cooked with whatever it may be, non-organic produce. And... I think we're going through that shift at the moment where we're really witnessing the the downhill effects of that convenience and not putting that putting food back up to the one of the most important things in our life and I'm trusting in this experience that this has to happen for the shift and the evolution to come full circle where we do place such importance back again on what food means to us as a species. And and I think it's coming, you know, for those that are willing to see and willing to act, you know, it's all very good to have the knowledge, oh, yeah, that food will help me stay out of the medical system <laughs> if I choose to do it. But how do we act on that? And that's what we're continuing to do, my wife and I, by sharing these recipes each week because here's another one, hopefully this invites you to replicate it you know and by the end of the year we'll have 50 recipes video recipes and you know that's a great little repertoire for people to have in their um toolkit so to speak and we'll continue to do this every year so you know 50 years time there should be 50 times 50 what's that two and a half thousand recipes and i've actually produced over two thousand recipes over the last 10 plus years in my cookbook so all of that's out there for people to be able to access if they choose to um but it's about action it's about how do we act upon that how do i fall in love with what people call a chore yeah how, how can i you know because if we again go back it was the most important thing in our lives as a species how do we again go back to putting it on that pedestal to make it so bloody delicious that it doesn't become a chore that actually becomes a dance it becomes this loving gift that we give to ourselves and we give to others you know and uh, and we see i mean I'll, i'll use carl and jackie o here as an example you know um We've seen weight fluctuations with them, health issues with them as well over the years. And, you know, I I sometimes wonder, is my connection with them by going through these things, is that part of their onward journey for them to perhaps take some of that information by me being on? Because it's no accident that I'm on their program either. <laughs> and nothing is by coincidence either. And... I'm very careful not to try to find the the threads of connections, but I'm always aware that there's infinite amount of possibilities that happen when people connect, you know, whether it's me appearing on your podcast here and what the ripple effect from that will be, whether it's one listener, whether it's yourself, whether I gain something from this connection that I never thought possible, you know, in six months' time I might reach out to you about freediving because you've mentioned it, and go, oh, I remember you talking about that. I, I, I want to explore that, you know. And and when we have that state of curiosity about this web of life 
this this nature of reality that we find ourselves in that there are infinite possibilities and nothing is by circumstance nothing is by coincidence that anything can manifest out of these what many people will call perhaps mundane coincidences or interactions and you know, I, I, also, I go back to that Kyle and Jackie O that we've had so many interactions. And I often wonder, I'm like, wonder what this is about, you know, whether, you know, perhaps Kyle will come on this adventure with us. And I have put it out to him over the years. I've said to his producer, like, Kyle ever needs any help with uh, diet and nutrition? I'm here for him, you know. And, um, and I love that about the mystery of life, that you never know. But if we don't show up and make those connections, you know, I think the world, um, yeah, all I'd say is always have the question mark about every choice that we make that we don't know the implications of where where it may lead for yourself or for the person that you're interacting with or the people that you're interacting with. And and that's what I love about this journey is the the mystery, is the unknown, it's the uncertainty, is of the the potentiality of everything that we choose to do and then letting it go, (laughs) letting letting go of any expectation. This curiosity theme is is one that's been big in my mind. I've got a a three-year-old boy, he's three next month. I've got a nine-month-old, he's not quite there yet. And it's a a classic cliche, but I guess it's a cliche for a reason. And just to spend so much time with my little man, like we'll go over that we live quite close to a lake and there's a massive, like an endless, infinite, if you're three, pile of stones that are at the lake. And my kid loves to go over it, pick up a stone, chuck it in the water, ask about the ripples, look at the bugs, look at the dirt. Just It's unbelievable the things that he's curious in that I'll just blindly look over. And that's just one of, I'm not kidding, like hundreds of examples. And it's been a little asterisk in my own mind lately that I've got to stay curious because, as I mentioned earlier, I'm 36. You said you're 50 next month. As you get older, I think there's a lot of people, and another cliche is that cynical, grumpy old man. And I think part of that grumpy old man facet is they've just got too familiar with every element of their life. They think they know everything there is to know. But there's, I spoke to an exercise physiologist on here the other day, John Quinn, and he was explaining, mate, you know, you know, sweet fuck all, really, like in comparison to what there is to know, you know, sweet fuck all. So keep asking questions. And it's regardless of, uh, whether it's comedy in my regards or cooking in your regards or your wellness retreats or um, just even the way that you speak about Kyle and Jackie O and, and the so-called mundane conversations that you might take part in, it feels so much bigger when you take that lens and apply it to every situation rather than going, I've, I've got to get past this conversation because I've got an appointment at four, then i got to go home, cook dinner at six. Um, curiosity, in my opinion at the moment, is one of the most overlooked values or overlooked skills that a person can curate. Is that is that something that you've trained in yourself or have you just naturally always been a really curious guy? Yeah, interesting question. Um, yeah, interesting question. I, mean, I could make myself go crazy with that question. <laughs> I'm sorry to do it to you. <laughs> don't, give him a, don't give him another story to share. He's gone mental with the curiosity question. I, I I don't know. It's it's. I think as we go, you know, we we we. I'll use myself as an example. I go up and I go down. You know, some years I'll read a lot of books. Then all of a sudden, I I don't feel like reading. 
you know, sometimes I'll, I'll dive into documentaries and then all of a sudden I just want to watch some Big Bang Theory or something like that. You know, sometimes I'm really focused on building uh, my entrepreneurship um, endeavours, you know, business, this, that and the other. And some years I'm like, you know, it's it sh- doesn't feel like it's flowing at the moment. You know, and I, and I can I'm curious about that too. Why do we have these um, these stages where we go in and out, or up and down, or more excitement and then less sort of retreating, so to speak, and contemplation, and then just being. You know, and I think that is is part of the mystery of life as well. You know, we can so psychoanalyze or analyze ourselves to the nth degree because if we compare ourselves with others or our older self or our potential future self, I think that is a potential recipe for disaster, so to speak, because, you know, I'll, I'll give you a great example. I go on Instagram um, every I couple of days. I didn't know you were allowed on there. <laughs> yeah, I'm allowed on there. <laughs> I go and, and and I've got a certain amount of followers that I follow and and um, I and some days it really triggers me. I'm like, fuck, these people are just putting out the same bullshit, same content over and it's nearly like a, a self fulfilling prophecy that that they just have to regurgitate information out. Otherwise, you know, my my intent, my perception is if they're fearful that if they don't churn out information daily then who are they will they lose relevance you know and i've been in that situation myself where it's like in fact i've got to do it people expect this of me i've got to do it i've got to do it you know i was like but do i really have to do it do i really have to meet other people's expectations what who am i to understand other people's expectations on me and why would i ever live my life based on anybody else's expectations of who I am or who I have created, you know? And, and I think that's a very curious thing to investigate for anybody that is in the, in the public space, whether they're a podcaster, whether they're a content creator, whether they're an influencer, whether they're a celebrity, you know, who are you if that all disappears? You know, are you doing it for validation? Are you doing it for likes? Are you doing it for just for financial reward? Are you doing it just to stay relevant? Are you doing it because you're insecure? Why have I created this persona where I'm famous and people are looking for towards me? Who am I? What the fuck have I created here? <laughs> you know, like you, like your mate, the physiologist. We know nothing, yet we elevate ourselves into this position of sharing knowledge. Who gives me the right to share my knowledge? Who? Why would I believe that sharing a paleo diet is right for everybody? You know, no wonder I get criticism from mainstream media. You know, they're the only ones that dietitians should be sharing the information on high high carb diets, low fat diets working with multinational food corporations. They're the ones that have done the work in universities. The experts. The experts, exactly. (laughs) You know, we, the only expert that we are is the expert over our own experience and our own lives. We, you know, I think it's folly to, to put ourselves in a position where we're experts over anybody else's unique life 
story. We can, if we choose to be in that position, we can definitely offer guidance from our own perceptions or from a culminative, culminative, cumulative, cumulative um, <laughs> experience, you know. And some of those simple things can be go to bed early, drink clean water, work on your relationships, work on yourself, eat a beautiful diet, get out into nature, cultivate beautiful friendships, do something that you love, um, continue to learn if that's your path, these types of things. But going back to when I'm looking at uh, Instagram, I'm looking at this, I'm like, fuck, there's a lot of work that a lot of people need to be doing and they're so-called experts in this space because it's like they're, 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 it's nearly like grasping at straws to stay relevant. And I don't mean that in a negative state because obviously there's something in that that triggers me as well. <laughs> you know, what triggers you individually is something that obviously triggers yourself <laughs> that you've still got to work on or still have come to uh, peace with in ourselves. So the the moral of that story is be yourself and again going back to and and this isn't advice <laughs> this is just me talking um that comparison with others especially in this day and age is i think a recipe for disaster in certain circumstances and when we can, and I don't want to sound egotistical here, but when we can come to know ourselves and love ourselves in complete, with, with, with completeness, I guess it would be the correct terminology, or unconditionally, when we love ourselves unconditionally, warts and all, yeah. you know, love our fears, love our insecurities, be aware of them, love the imperfections in our perfection, you know, and stop judging others for their imperfections in their perfections and celebrate everybody's uniqueness, including our own, including our own, how we look, how we think, how we behave. And once we love that in us, all of it, the light, the dark, the good, the bad, the right, the wrong decisions that we make, you know, once we accept that of who we are and we're aware of all of who we are, you know, then that those pathways can present themselves in a beautiful way where those coincidences, those, those questions that we ask ourselves, why do I behave like this? What is that pattern? Why do I keep attracting this into my life? Whether it be financial, whether it be relationships, whether it be whatever it may be, those patterns. Why do I sabotage myself when I want to be healthy? Why do I sabotage this relationship? when it's a great relationship, why do I sabotage that business? Once we start to ask those questions, then we can delve in and no doubt the answers or the paths will start to open up for us. And it could be that Instagram person that we follow. It could be this podcast. It could be free breathing or free diving, <laughs> you know, breath work. Fuck, mm -hmm. I like that. How did that person go to 100 metres? I'd love to be able to go down five metres. I can't even do that. How do they do that? What a great experience that would be for me to overcome that. What would that allow me to do 
in the future that I'm fearful of. You know, and again, I'm going pretty deep here, and I don't even know whether I've answered your question. So, but that's okay. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's good thoughts, man. I really enjoy it. I really enjoy it. I know we've uh, we've got a few minutes left before I let you go. Um, I'm just curious to know what are, what are you doing with your days now? I mean, um, in terms of the wellness retreats, and you sound like you're busy with your wife, and you're still creating, and you're you're still getting out there and surfing, and it sounds like you're you're, you're living a more fun, more exciting life than maybe ever before, uh, contrary to many beliefs. But what do you fill your days with at the moment? Well, I will state that I've always lived a. Um, a, a very fruitful existence. You know, I've, I've been surfing since the age of 14 and my daughters now are 17 and 18 and I taught them to surf when they were the age of four and, and we still do that together and I love being outside in nature as often as possible. Um, I love hanging out with my wife, love seeing my kids, love cooking, love connecting with people. As you mentioned, we run a wellness retreat and a cooking retreat um we have a lot of variety in that we run men's retreats women's retreats wellness retreats fasting retreats cooking retreats breathwork retreats and we've just a bit we've just opened our retreat up for other facilitators so they can host their own retreats so if you want to bring up seven or eight people and have a retreat the doors are welcome and if there's any uh, health prep professionals out here that are looking for a wonderful seven cabin retreat space in nature with a free-flowing spring-fed creek. We've got ice baths, sauna, spa, swimming pools, swimming holes, waterfalls, red light oh. machines in every room. I might um, come up this afternoon. <laughs> no, fire, fire pit where we get to hang out by the fire. I get to do the cooking and my wife does the desserts and um, my wife takes people for tea ceremonies and we we facilitate breathwork as well. Um, so we do that on most weekends, which is super, super fun. And creating content, as we mentioned, new videos, um, putting together a new program at the moment that um, will be a culmination of my recipes for health professionals that wish to give it to their, their clients or their patients so that we've got a one-stop database that um, people can uh, access our recipes because, um, again, it's the action that is needed. It's not so much the knowledge. It's knowledge and action or wisdom and action. So um, creating that at the moment and continuing to I record one or two podcasts a week myself, which is super fun. So that's on the Evolve Network TV platform. But, um, yeah, I, I absolutely love this life and I absolutely love doing the things that I love and I think that's that's the key to long-term regenerative health at the at the core of it apart from diet and sleep and good water and and wonderful relationships what we can do as individuals that brings us joy that ignites our passion that puts a smile on our face and we know what that is each and every one of us some of us might have forgotten it but we know deep down you know like your child throwing rocks into the into the lake you know that brings him joy digging around, finding those rocks. That's one thing that brings joy. I know still to this day, finding a nice rock by a river or a lake and skimming the stones, that brings joy. And one of the things that I, I firmly have come to believe is our purpose in life is to remember the things that brought us joy as children or in our adult life. And if you don't know what that is, be curious and explore 
everything that's available to us, whether it's gardening, whether it's painting, whether it's music, whether it's dancing, whether it's reading, whether it's writing, whether it's some sort of sporting activity or sporting activities or exercise activities or volunteering adventures, whatever it is, you know, we're all unique. So again, that comparison we've got to be very careful of, you know, for me, I love surfing. I love skiing. I love wakeboarding. I love things to do with, with going fast and being in, in some sort of relationship with nature. Whereas other people like team sports, for instance, they like to be surrounded by other people in a team. Um, find those things that bring you joy and do them as often as possible. Yeah. It's so fucking simple. It's mm. so simple. And if those things piss off somebody, whether it be a family member or your spouse or your, your colleagues or whatever it is, you know, put the big question mark over them. Why is this triggering you that I get to? have as much fun in my life as possible. Yeah. What is that triggering for you? You know, and I, and I think that, um, I think that could be, you know, bring it back to myself. I think that could be one of the reasons that I'm so polarizing for a lot of people is that they see somebody that looks healthy, seems to be having a wonderful <laughs> life, doesn't seem to be phased by any of the negativity that, mainstream media and others can harness against such an individual yet seems bulletproof why is that triggering to so many people <laughs> you know and obviously it's their own shit mm -hmm. that that brings up how, why how can this guy keep fucking doing what he's doing like i would have i would have run away and hid in a corner because that much level of scrutiny in the public sphere I possibly couldn't deal with that. Fuck, I don't like this guy because he's still there, you know. What has he got that – how can he, how can he cope, cope with that? I can't even deal with it from my own fucking parents. <laughs> I can't even deal with it from my own husband, my own wife. My own work colleagues give me shit and I can't deal with it. He's copying it on a national stage. Yet he still smiles. <laughs> He's still going out. He's still created a business that brings him joy, even after being cancelled. Like, I don't like him. I fucking hate him. <laughs> whereas, whereas others are like, I love him. What a champion, you know. And, I, and again, I'm not using this as an egotistical point of view, but I, I'm just bringing it back to. I feel like you stole my words. No, go for that. When when you go on your adventure and everybody's on their adventure of mm. creating that passion, doing the things that bring you joy, you know, and it triggers other people, see it for what it is. See it for what it is. It's their stuff. It's not your stuff. If, if you living your life, cultivating life force energy by going down the path that brings you ultimate joy and passion, which allows you to be a better father, a better lover, a better husband, better wife, better son, better daughter, better communicator, better boss, better employee, better carer, better giver, better receiver. You know, I think that ticks a lot of boxes, you know, and if it aggravates other people, you know, see it for what it is, bless them, love them, wish them well on their journey of discovery and hopefully they will discover the things that bring them joy instead of 
attacking you for the things that bring you joy. Yeah. No, well said, man. Well said. Pete, I'm disappointed I told you an hour and not seven. Uh, I could keep talking to you and asking questions. That was a, a whole heap of fun, man. I really enjoy it. I'm uh, I'm a big fan. I'm, I'm really motivated by you, especially after the last couple of years. I thought I was pretty uh, blend in. It turns out I'm quite a loud mouth when it comes to things I, I highly disagree with as well. So it's been nice to see a bloke like yourself sharing an opinion so confidently, copping a bit of shit and, uh, and keep swinging, having fun. So, mate, thanks for the work you're doing. Thanks for the, uh, the smiles that you keep bringing as you do it. I appreciate you stopping by here. Thanks, Tyson, and uh, thank you so much. I love your brother, and thank you, everybody, for listening to us and uh, watching this. And, uh, yeah, don't believe a thing that I say. <laughs> or do. 